Hello, I'm Jamie Bricker. And I'm Carol Bricker. And you're listening to Bricker by Bricker, a podcast to support parents with building productive partnerships between home and school. Well, you know, Carol, I think in today's podcast to be extremely timely uh, for us to really share our thoughts on the recent decision to keep Ontario schools closed until at least September. Well, it certainly is a very, has been a very hot topic and a very contentious topic, to say the least. It's been even hotter than the nice weather. Yes. There's there's no doubt about it. And it's not going to be dying out anytime soon. There are a whole whack of different opinions, uh, frankly, some very uninformed, but also many, many from incredibly informed uh, people, uh, both in the educational and medical communities. And some experts have really come up with some excellent uh, and very passionate editorials and uh, speaking points, Mm -hmm. both very strongly for yay and nay on this very kind of, I would say, kind of no-win decision, really. Definitely, definitely. So if we look at, you know, what are the experts, what have they been telling us with regard to opening schools? And we had just a couple of weeks ago our chief um, medical officer of health who was very much a strong proponent that we need to get kids back in schools. And and he has said numerous times that, in his opinion, schools need to be the last thing that we close and the first thing that we open, and that it is so important for just the well-being of students, not only their learning, but their well-being to be in school. And, and this is backed up by all the regional uh, health leaders in the different regions throughout Ontario who strongly supported returning to school. Uh, We had uh, actually last night on the news, uh, one of the heads at SickKids was speaking about, you know, the medical health crisis that we're having because kids aren't able to go back to school and, and aren't being identified by their te- by their teachers. Well, I think you're not agree in kind of layman's terms. It's a balance between the, the real ongoing and really, I think, real, but real concern about physical illness mm-hmm. versus this ongoing mental, mental. S- stress on kids. Oh, definitely. And definitely. parents and teachers on everyone. Mm-hmm. Oh, on everyone. I mean, this has had a tremendous impact on every single person. Well, then also, though, it's been so long term, like in our lifetimes, there's been nothing remotely comparable. It's just been on and on and on. Yeah, my naivete that two weeks and we were going to be done, uh, how foolish I was. But, you know, looking at some other people, there was an education uh, professor from the University of Ottawa who quoted as saying that, you know, we are on the cusp of a generational catastrophe and Tracy Valancourt is is the professor's name has has stressed that school closures have negatively affected all aspects of a child's development and you know this extends beyond what's happening in the classroom absolutely and it, it extends well beyond june of 2021 like oh, the ramifications mm-hmm. are going to want for months and years yes yes all right now let's look at the keep schools closed camp so to speak now last fall the ministry said schools are safe But however, they agree, and I think we all have to agree, there really is a lack of data uh, regarding uh, how the virus has spread in the past across and among different schools and so on. So Mm -hmm. in fairness to the people who were kind of really hesitant to send the kids back, 
we really don't have the you know the complete picture no, in some respects. No, we I get needed that. a lot, we need a lot more data. And then the whole issue done. of certainly not uh, nearly enough testing in schools. Mm-hmm. There's no question. Well, that about was that. a big a big push that they were going to do all this asymptomatic testing. And well, I think a very valid. I think honestly, Carol, a very valid uh, criticism. Frankly, people would have is okay in the last couple of months when schools were reclosed. What exactly has been done in the physical school buildings in those last mm-hmm. umpteen weeks when yeah. kids and staff and, weren't and there? And we I have no idea. Been, we have, I have not no idea. been informed about but that. But I think you'd agree that yes. has not been shared publicly. No. And I think if things of significance had been done, the government would be very quick to publicly yes. state them. Yes. So to oh, me, definitely. The, to me, the silence is deafening on mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we've all heard this word variant the last six months or so from various countries and so on. And I confess, I know nothing about variants except they're bad. And so they're, they're, I guess what they're really saying is the closed schools camp are saying there's more things in play now than there were last time schools reopened, potentially. Well, and, and more harmful things. And Good point. And more highly contagious things. Excellent point. Excellent point. Okay, Carol, I think at this point, let's look at some of the key stakeholders in all of in all of this, and of course, number one on the list by country mile would be a students, and clearly, remote learning is not for everyone and has mm-hmm. not been for everyone. No. Uh, I look back myself years ago as a student; that would have not been in my wheelhouse. Oh, it at still all. wouldn't be in your wheelhouse. <laughs> I need my people. <laughs> I'm not sure my people need me, but I need my people. No, no doubt about it. I would miss that classroom dynamic and the, and the hands-on stuff, like those real mm-hmm. experiences. I'd miss them desperately. But also, in all seriousness, Carol, the, the really sad thing is from day one, as much as schools and boards have made a concerted effort to get you know, the various devices out there, so to speak, the fact is a lot of kids just have not had access to yeah. virtual learning from day one. Yeah, um, for a variety of reasons, definitely. So, I mean, this has been one area that... You know, there has been some gathering of data, some anecdotal data around that piece, finding out how students have felt about that virtual learning. And really, uh, uh, students felt that there, you know, it lacked that typical classroom structure, which really impacted on their motivational level to, to learn. And, and that, you know, they felt what they were taught and how they are assessed was very limiting. So it really didn't address, you know, the various learning styles and the multiple intelligence. Well, very teacher directed by necessity. mm -hmm. And would you not agree pedagogically, it's kind of a huge step backwards to 40 years ago. Oh, definitely. No, no, no doubt about it. You know, it certainly would be more paper and pencil type assessment practices. And then the other thing, by being remote, and and yes, your little face is on the screen, but it really um, diminishes that ability for a teacher and a student to immediately connect when there's either a disconnect or to help that child extend their learning. So that feedback has been disrupted. You raise a really good point. I know teachers, and we know plenty of teachers ourselves who have made a really conscientious effort to give that online feedback as best they can, but they'd be the first to admit that you just cannot have, as you say, the immediacy of in-person when it comes to feedback, Mm -hmm. and that's so critical in helping to make sure someone doesn't kind of 
get get off on a really wrong kind of well, yeah, you you know, incorrect path. You, you, know, you can't nip it right wander there. around the classroom exactly. and see what kids are doing. You can't address misconceptions no. immediately. There's, no, there's no. no doubt about it. And I think another big one, and uh, kids in the survey certainly agreed that this whole struggle of virtual learning makes it very blurry, like my home stuff and my school stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think it's much easier to have a physical distinction. I'm at school and I'm at yeah. home. And then, of course, that ties into in terms of like a designated workspace. Like, and many families, you know, not well, a whole lot of space. space. Yeah. It could be multi, many multi-generational families, et cetera, mm-hmm. numerous kids and relatives and so yeah. on. Space is at a premium. Mm-hmm. So where is my quiet workspace? You're right. And this isn't only affecting students. You know, we have to look at the number of, of parents or oh, individuals absolutely. who are working from home. And I mean, look at our one son. He and his partner are are there in their one bedroom condo sharing space, both trying to work and, you know, have phone conversations. And it's it's a challenge. Oh, no doubt about it. And also I found it very interesting where students, many students feel that teachers seem to think that, well, since they're not at school technically and, you know, the kids are kind of got a lot or have a lot of extra time on, you know, in play mm-hmm. right now and they're kind of bored that students feel like they're getting kind of l- piled on with additional work than yeah. they normally would have. Yeah. Uh, and that, I don't know. That's just kind of a perception thing, right? Or if that's accurate yeah. or not, I have yeah. no idea. No, but it's their perception. But, is the their last, reality. but the last point, Carolyn, I know we've talked to different friends and so on, and I, I believe this point really has a lot of validity. Uh, no pun intended, but the validity of the assessments. Uh, in other words, we've heard different stories of kids, you know, kind of on one screen having an online assessment and on an, another kind of screen literally right beside them. They've got a copy of a previous year's exam or test or whatever. So very distorted. And we've heard from numerous people, a lot of, especially in high school and and, and beyond, but a lot of very kind of distorted class averages and mm-hmm. so on. So that really makes it kind of really difficult, especially for older kids, like you're applying to university or whatever. How do you compare apples yeah. and oranges when it's skewed? Like it's Oh, definitely, you know. definitely. And but then again, it comes back to what is that that grade mark, that percentage really telling you. But that's that's a whole other podcast. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> but I think this year in particular, for like, yeah. especially for like, imagine having like a graduating high school student in your household. Yeah. That's yeah. really murky as to what mm-hmm. those marks are telling you. Mm-hmm. But then on the other side of it, we, we've kind of talked about some of the, the negative aspects of the virtual learning for students. But there are some students and would be based on, you know, their their learning style, their space in their home, their access to technology, their familiarity with technology. But, you know, they really have felt much more relaxed in this uh, remote learning in their own home as compared to the classroom and have really appreciated and, and enjoyed working along at what is would typically be their own pace. So different strokes, different folks. Yeah. Yep. I mean, and that's why we offer, you know, a variety of, of options. But then if we get back to kind of the impact of this year on our students and look at what the experts are are telling us with regard to you know these learning gaps and the learning loss that we're you know continually hearing about and that you know they predict that students are going to be anywhere from 3 to 9 months behind academically as a result of the, all the disruptions that have occurred uh in learning 
And this learning loss is going to be even more significant for students who are socially, emotionally disadvantaged. And, you know, we've talked about that before, just read the space, read the equipment, and, you know, just not having that accessibility. And it really has not been equitable for all students. Well, and also trying to learn in what may well be a very uh, emotionally charged household. Mm -hmm. Parents, many of them would be working in uh, frontline jobs, et cetera, and they've been forced to go to work throughout this pandemic. Or forced to go to work or not had work. Correct. Excellent point. Or not have had work and a huge financial hit. So there's an awful lot of stress. Oh, a lot of stress. And then I also think we need to think about those students who, and families, who have already bought out of school. Like it has been such a disruptive year. It has been such a challenge for them to be a part of the learning that they've just removed themselves. And and that is a serious concern and maybe a concern that if we'd gone back to school, maybe some of those kids would have been picked up. But I think a good portion of them would still be missing. Well, as we discussed last week or so ourselves, like I was really surprised when they, when they talked about the numbers, like the thousands, province-wide, the thousands of kids who, as you say, are kind of missing in action. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. quote unquote, where are they? Yeah. And will yeah. they return on Labor Day? Like that's yeah. an, another issue. Well, I think our younger kids, more likely, but our high school kids who maybe aren't strong students, I think we're going to have a lot of, and uh, families are going to have a lot of problems getting those kids yeah. back in. Yeah, no question. Well, I read another recent article where educational experts were really strongly feeling that, uh, A, as we know, across Ontario, come the fall, a family is going to have the opportunity to choose the in-person or remote learning. The big difference, of course, is once you decide, in the, and it varies from board to board, but sometimes, say, in August, once you've decided, then your decision will stick for the entirety of next school year. So I think that's important for parents to really understand. And as we've discussed, there's certainly uh, pros and cons to both. Mm -hmm. But then the other issue, and I know, Carol, we've heard from family members and and friends, the idea, well, as you say, kids are months behind. Well, then I want my child to repeat the grade. Like, makes makes sense to me, parent. Mm -hmm. No, I think it's important that parents really appreciate the fact that literally everyone's in the same boat. And, uh, and, you know, they've done a litany of studies the last umpteen years over the social impact of repeating grades versus the academic. And, and it's just, I would certainly not recommend it. But I think, though, if parents are, are interested in discussing it further, that would be a great discussion to have with the classroom teacher, the cert, the principal, you know, those people who know their, their child to, because... That, that is a decision that's definitely made on an individual basis, not kind of categorically we're going to repeat all these students. But oh, one. Oh, no question. If I put on like my, my principal hat for a minute, and you're absolutely right, like pre pandemic, those discussions came up from time to time. And would you not agree, like the ones I recall were typically a child was in the early grades in, you know, leaving senior kindergarten or grade one or grade two, and there were some language development issues and mm-hmm. what supports could be in place yeah. and should the child remain in the grade and that mm-hmm. type of thing. Oh, definitely, yeah. But, you know, one thing that that I kind of thought about, and it's probably pretty pie in the sky, however, having taught kindergarten where it was a two-year program, one of the things I really liked coming back in September 
my JKs the previous year were my SKs the next year. So I knew in September where each of those kids were and where I needed to take them for the next school year that maybe instead of repeating a grade, repeat the teacher, repeat the teacher. Well said in the next grade. And and that's not going to be feasible in all situations because of kids coming back from virtual learning and movement of staff, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it would be an interesting idea to consider. I think after such a disruptive year for all parties, yes. I think even that continuity of teacher and student dynamic would be kind of a win-win for everybody. Yes, I, I think certainly it would. No, interesting point, Karen. Mm-hmm. And then to take this discussion just a little bit further, any reading that we've done, you know, the experts are kind of suggesting it's going to take about two years to adequately address these learning gaps. And one of the things that's being highly recommended is that, you know, we need to make sure that we're starting the planning now or Six months ago would have been probably yeah. better, but it you know it's too late if we wait to September to think about what we're going to be doing. Yes, in September, that's when teachers are going to do their diagnostics so they know where their kids are, but what are some of the supports that the government is going to be putting in place in order to support the closure of these gaps? And where's the money? Yes. Yes. Let's face it. Yes. Like t- talk is cheap. Yes. Well, I mean, let's you know look Carol for a minute, kind of a global perspective, a point of comparison as we kind of uh, thankfully begin our post-pandemic world uh, in terms of education. Uh, in the Netherlands, United Kingdom, uh, they have all made a, uh, an increased a commitment to increase funding and planned tutoring. And the United States, once again, they have uh, committed to funding for to address these learning gaps. We need more particulars, of course, but they've made a kind of an umbrella statement that these gaps are being mm-hmm. recognized and properly funded, hopefully. And also in the U.S., they're going to they're funding for the summer and after school programming. So, I mean, certainly some of the gaps can be made up over the summer in certain yes. jurisdictions, yeah, which right. would be a big help. Mm-hmm. And a little more uh, closer to home in B.C. and Quebec, for example, they are both starting free tutoring based initiatives. So different parts of the world are already kind of starting to get that uh, kind of wheel in motion. And you're so right, Carol, like, boy, it should have been going months ago, but it's got to be going now. You're right. And then closer to home here in Ontario, you know, they have announced increased funding and an expansion of summer learning through various summer schools. And, you know, I'd read about this dynamic learn, these dynamic learning portals that uh, the government is launching. And when I went to investigate those further. Part of it was the TVO online learning that, you know, they were using initially last uh, or a year ago in when we first shut down schools. Um, I'm sure that's been extended. I, I didn't really get a chance to look at it. And then the other thing, there were a variety of different portals that you could go on. However, you did need a board login. So I wasn't able to investigate those further. But they're also suggesting that they're going to have more educators available for math tutoring and to enhance the academic supports and mentorship opportunities for those students who are at risk. But one thing that I have seen 
is that really we don't have the data to really inform us as to where the best value would be for spending our money to support the closure of these gaps. And we need that information to to really make sure we're having that positive impact that we're planning. Well, you're right. It's 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 like anything else. It's not good enough to just commit to a whole ton of money. That money has got to be very targeted and you've got to do a detailed kind of gap analysis. Like where are the biggest holes right now in terms of learning? No question about it. Well, as you know, uh, Carol, obviously when it comes to schools, everything centers around students. However, it's far too simplistic to say they're the only stakeholder that's been very much impacted by mm-hmm. this pandemic. Now let's look at parents. I mean, holy Toledo, for the last 16 months, countless families across the province and beyond have balanced work commitments and and, and changing family dynamics. You look at the time involved in trying to be helping your, your kids learn, do the job, you know, work, try to work at home, yada, 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 the, the stress. And then, of course, the very significant financial impact, as you said earlier, some folks simply can't work at home or have lost their employment. Like mm-hmm. there, there's a litany of issues that certainly have impacted parents uh, related to school and completely unrelated. Um, let's look at, say, the pros. Let's say we had had a, a different decision by the government and suppose kids were going back to school tomorrow, so to speak. Well, from a parent's point of view, their child would obviously be well taken care of during the school day. So parents then would be free to continue physically going yeah. back to, to work, yeah. Yeah. which in many fields is what they were, they would be required to do. Uh, then, of course, as a caring parent, you'd be very pleased to see your child has many more social options. As we mentioned earlier, with mental uh, health issues and concerns, both for parents and kids, this would really open up the social networks, lay the foundation for friends over the summer, hopefully. And also, of course, especially in this nice weather, uh, especially for folks who live in really high-density housing, it would give kids a lot more opportunities for physical activity. Oh, definitely, definitely. But then if we look at, you know, those those families who are saying, you know, gee, thank goodness our kids aren't going back to to school. I mean, they have very valid reasons as well. And, and you know, we've talked about it here about, you know, there's three plus weeks left in school at this point in time. We've been there in June. We know what June looks like. And and definitely as we get into the warmer weather, you know, the, the motivation of kids to learn. So really at this point in time of the year, we aren't going back to close learning gaps. You know, we aren't going back for a lot of new learning. It's more for that social aspect. So, and the, the mental health aspect. So, you know, some parents are saying like, this is just too late in the year to, to be disrupting those routines that I finally got established so that I can balance my work and my children's learning. And then there's also for for families that safety concern. You know, we talked about these variants and being more highly contagious. And so they are concerned that if I put my kids back in school, you know, I, I put them at risk of, of catching this virus. And, you know, our family has been successful this long, not getting you, it. You raise that, a good you raise a good point. If we've really done our best to protect our kids for 16 months. Why would and we're we almost at the put, end of it. Exactly. Yeah. Why would we possibly put them at risk for three weeks? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then if we look at 
educational staff, whether it be teachers, educational assistants, custodians, you know, the, uh, the administration. The nice thing at this point in time is that majority of school staff have received their first vaccine. And a pro to maybe holding off till September in that return to school is by September, you know, all of them should pretty well be fully vaccinated. So that is a real plus moving moving forward. And I think we can safely say that, you know, most teachers really would prefer that in-person learning because they have those connections then with their students with the their their students families and also their colleagues and and certainly teachers are missing out on those connections as well and then lastly if we look at at um, school staff, like, you know, they recognize this inequity with the remote learning. They know that they're not meeting all of their children's needs with regards to learning styles. And they're working so hard to be creative so that they can try to reach their students as best they can. And again, that access to technology, not all students maybe have it or they're sharing devices with siblings. You know, they may not have the, the setup in their house where they can have that individual learning space, that quiet environment for themselves to learn. So, you know, they certainly teaching staff and, and school staff certainly have a big voice to play in this decision, too. Oh, no question. I mean, Carol, looking at the key stakeholders, certainly students, educational staff, and parents are obviously the main focus, as they certainly uh, collectively should be. But let's not get ourselves. This decision to not reopen schools right now obviously has a strong uh, political undertone to it. Uh, the bottom line is the government is planning uh, for an election uh, next spring. And obviously, uh, they want the economy to recover, and they don't want any more steps backwards in terms of the pandemic. The absolute last thing the provincial government wants, uh, politically, I'm sure, is for them to decide to reopen schools for a few weeks, and all of a sudden, we have some significant outbreaks, and some kids are at risk, and staff are at risk. Uh, that would just be a political nightmare. Oh. So they, they just don't, don't want to open up that can of worms for three weeks. Uh, but I think it also this whole time, and I think certainly from a practical point of view and a political point of view, uh, we've discussed many times in this household the whys and why nots of opening regionally. Mm -hmm. And the fact that many areas of oh. our province have had very low, if not zero, case counts for a while. Well, I mean, we close schools regionally, so why can't we reopen them regionally? Exactly. <laughs> and I mean, it's very different if you live in uh, Toronto, Timmins, or Trenton. Mm -hmm. And so why are we all, why are we trying to say one size fits all? Yeah. And yeah. you know that argument, especially around the uh, earlier in the pandemic, when they'd open things up in one area, not another area, say for shopping purposes, and there'd be tons of people at a certain mall, like two hours from their home. Yes. Well, of course, I understand that for uh, for businesses and for consumer purchasing. But of course, that doesn't apply to education. No, we're not, not moving areas to, to... I'm not suddenly going to skip over three hours and go to a different school and a yeah. different board. That's yeah. not happening. You're right. You're right. 
So as we end this very tumultuous school year, we really are now focusing our attentions to September and what September looks like, knowing we're, you know, we've got to be closing these learning gaps and be very thoughtful of how we do it, knowing that we need to consider the emotional and mental well-being of all of our students. And, you know, that really needs to be very thoughtfully planned for. But one thing we do know is that for students in Ontario, you know, they are going to have that choice whether or not they attend in person or they attend through remote learning. But one thing I do caution parents with regards to the decision and need to make sure that they're taking this into account is there's not going to be the switching back and forth. If you choose to go remote learning, that your child will be in remote learning for the school year. Or if you choose to do in-person, your child is is in in-person learning throughout the year. And the de- deadline to make that decision does vary from board to board. So check your board website, ask you know the teachers at your school when those deadlines are. Excellent point, Carolyn, and really good advice. You are locked into your decision. No question about it. Families need to know that. Well, I guess, Carol, as we draw things to a close, with case counts thankfully falling and even more thankfully vaccination rates continuing to rise, uh, we can now finally say that I think it's it's really we can say confidently that better days are really finally here and even better days are fast approaching. Mm -hmm. So we really wish that, you know, all of our listening audience has a safe, a relaxing and a very enjoyable summer. And to remember to celebrate all the learning that you're just building incidentally into your child's day and you're, you and your child are going to thrive from that incidental or those incidental oh, opportunities. Uh, as much as school time, one way or another, is very important. As you say, Carol, lots of rich learning has nothing to do with school per se. Well, once again, we'd like to thank everyone for joining us. And a reminder that if you have any questions or comments, as always, please email us at brickerbybricker at gmail.com or contact us through our website at brickerbybricker.com. And we encourage our listeners to share our podcast with other families that they think might be interested. And a reminder to follow us on Voice Ed Radio or any of our other platforms like iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And we look forward to connecting with you next time on Bricker. Bye, Bricker. Bye, Bricker.